0: Hello, more listeners. This is Michael, your host for this episode. I just want to let you know that this episode was recorded at the beginning of this year, so some of the information found in this series is a little outdated. We think it still offers a valuable listening experience, so we've decided to present the episode as is. But I'll pop back in to let you know which parts are outdated. On to the episode. Welcome to another episode of the SciMore Podcast. I'm today's host, Michael, a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University, and you're listening to part two of our series on artificial intelligence. Last time, we learned a little bit about our guest, Dr. Monica Lopez-Gonzalez, a professor at Johns Hopkins University and an expert in cognitive sciences and AI. She shared with us information about her role as an AI researcher, as well as background on some of the current and upcoming uses of AI such as being a complimentary tool for professionals and as an investigative tool within the justice system. If you haven't heard that episode yet, definitely check it out and join us here when you're done. Now all this talk about what AI can be used for might get you thinking about how it should be used, especially as news surfaces about AI rollouts here in Maryland. For this episode we'll cover the ongoing projects in Maryland and how groups across the world are acting to structure and govern the implementation of AI throughout society. Again, Dr. LG has joined us here to inform us about these developments. Let's begin by discussing ongoing research in Maryland. Last year, the Army Research Lab partnered with the University System of Maryland, specifically the College Park and Baltimore County branches. What's important about this partnership for us and our listeners?
1: Of what's going on? Yeah, sure. So I know that I remember, in fact, seeing the announcements They came out last spring, I believe it was in May to be precise of 2021. And what it is essentially is that uh, UMD and UMBC entered into a cooperative agreement with the U.S. Army Research Laboratory. And what that means is that it's essentially a a five-year agreement that's worth uh, quite a lot, right? It's in the the high millions, like 60 plus uh, minus uh, millions to essentially accelerate the, it's the development and the deployment of safe, effective and resilient AI capabilities and technologies. And so we're talking about, so what do I mean by that? We're talking in regards to wearable devices, all the way to um, unmanned, right? Uncrewed aircraft. And the idea is that to create safe, effective and resilient AI capabilities in these particular technologies that they can essentially interact with each other in an intelligent way. And also that they can interact with human operators across a multiplicity of environments. And this really isn't any surprise. So if if anybody knows the the history of the University of Maryland and the Army Research Lab, they've actually have quite a long relationship that dates back um, several several years really. And um, in terms of building AI and autonomous systems at large and including all the modeling and simulation that goes into that, so, so essentially the idea is to truly develop technology that fundamentally ends up reducing humans workload as well as risks related to engaging in complex environments like the, the battlefield. And also that this technology ends up aiding humans in search and rescue operations. So that, that that's a really significant partnership because it means that we're, we're talking about a truly interdisciplinary strategic plan of engaging multiple stakeholders, multiple researchers, all for the goal of truly improving, or at least hoping to eventually improve the safety and the resiliency of these AI technologies.
0: Per UMBC's website, three primary goals of the partnership include human-machine teaming, collaborative autonomy, and big data processing. In other words, researchers aim to develop AI that can complement and adapt to the skills of humans, while maintaining an ability to work effectively on its own and process large amounts of data. Pairing these uses with the new technologies you mentioned, several sound like they'd be useful outside of a military setting, perhaps in domestic or professional day-to-day tasks.
1: Certainly healthcare is involved. So you mentioned the three goals, and I think one of them was also something to do with essentially taking advantage of the the massive amount of data and information, of course, and obviously computing power and, and big data. And so that I know they're certainly working on improving healthcare and clinical uh, support system management. So that certainly requires an enormous amount of data, but it also requires new types of algorithms that can provide clinical support in terms of uh, decision-making, which certainly, of course, the problems of uh, bias that enter into that, racial bias particularly, and the, the mitigation of bias as well in those systems. So that's also another area I know that they're, they're working on.
0: Alongside military personnel, these research questions are being studied by professors and students within the higher education system. Are lessons about AI and computer science in general being taught at other levels in education?
1: Computations slash robotics slash AI as different subjects, let's say, uh, within the field of computers. There are more initiatives being done to educate and help teachers, certainly in the K through 12, to learn and be more aware of, of what's going on so they can bring that to the classroom. If anything, I would say that most of the initiatives and efforts happening are at the undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate levels. So at the the bachelor's, master's, and PhD programs. Well, it kind of goes back to our conversation earlier in terms of University of Maryland. They've they, I mean, they really have been at the forefront when it comes to programs and projects, and even summer uh, initiatives, summer camps specifically focused for on AI for high school students. I know that uh, the NSA, right? So the National Security Agency has internships for high schoolers. And I think uh, for a broad range of learners as well, certainly in cybersecurity, which is obviously not the same as AI, but it's uh, certainly related. There's also NIST, right? so National Institutes of Standards and Technology. They have summer institutes and those are for fields in general within STEM, but also in computing. And then, of course, we well, here at Hopkins, a new program that started about two years ago for which I, in fact, teach. Um, I teach a, a, for them as well in the new artificial intelligence program, but that's for engineering for professionals, in the Whiting School. There's a lot going on in terms of, so, so to recap here, there's the training of teachers from the K-12 through group in terms of helping them acquire the necessary skills, essentially upskilling them in these areas of computation, robotics, and modern uh, robotics, modern AI. That's one thing. Then there are universities and government agencies that have summer camps or summer academies for high schoolers and other uh, learners and other age groups dedicated to robotics, computing, uh, AI, uh, cybersecurity. And then there's at the college level, right? So the undergraduate, graduate level, and postgraduate level for uh, degrees, right? Bachelor's, master's, and PhDs in not just computer science, obviously, because that certainly has been around for quite some time, but now dedicated to human-centered AI or human-computer interaction, and now um, you can get your master's in AI itself. So certainly we see a lot of educational efforts across the whole spectrum.
0: Progress is being made on the research and education fronts, but those are not the only areas in which AI has been introduced. Many of our listeners have likely heard about the production of autonomous vehicles, which are gradually being tested here in Maryland. What thoughts do you have to share on this topic?
1: Oh, yeah, right. Well, so certainly back in 2017, one could argue that it it goes back earlier, but I mentioned 2017 because I know specifically the Maryland Department of Transportation announced that the state of Maryland had essentially submitted an application to the U.S. uh, Department of Transportation to designate a portion of the Interstate 95 as an AV or automated uh, automated vehicle testing and deployment area. So then that was 2017. Then in 2018, the Hogan administration essentially announced permits so first time it was announced, a first time type of permits that were granted for the testing of what we call in the field, uh, CAVs. So connected autonomous vehicles. And there was a company that particularly uh, based in Howard County, I believe it was, that started testing their technology in, in, in different areas within the Interstate 95 corridor. I believe it was specific to parking lots initially that are owned by the Maryland Department of Transportation and then moving around the I-95 corridor. I haven't frankly heard anything more since then. I think, I think since uh, certainly the, when the pandemic came uh, in 2000, late 2019, really 2020, certainly there's a lot more going on nationally. So that's the most that I know in terms of definitely there are permits that have been granted, and um, I'm sure more than one company now is testing, but I haven't seen uh, more than that. And I certainly haven't seen on the roadways. Well, I haven't been out on the roadways as much, right, Um, pre-pandemic levels, but I, I haven't seen further news moving forward in that regard.
0: The testing of autonomous vehicles, as well as the various other uses of AI that we've mentioned brings up the question of what exactly autonomy means. Are there different definitions of autonomy when it comes to AI? And how much autonomy should AI have?
1: Uh, yeah, that, no, that, that's a great question. And um, it's one of those things that's completely open to what we as a society want to eventually have. And, and by have, I mean agree upon and there are pros and cons to, to all of this. The arguments have been made, um, certainly to make sure everyone you know, in the audience is clear on these terms, what we're talking about here is how much of human control, right, should be within the system. So are we talking about the human in the loop, meaning that the human commands the system entirely? Are we talking about human on the loop where the human can intervene at some point within the system? And then are we talking about human out of the loop? So that's where the human has no input in the decision-making process at all across the system. Again, a lot of the arguments boil down to it depends on the context. There certainly are low-risk domains versus high-risk domains. High-risk most certainly referring to when we're talking about lethal uh, situations. I think most people tend to fall on in that continuum of the higher the risk on the human in terms of physical well-being, mental well-being, um, that that falls towards high risk, and therefore the system should not have full control. Should it be a human-computer relationship? I think that's what it should be. In the end of the day, I think that's where we're headed. That while the system may provide some some decision, give some sort of recommendation, let's say, for uh, whether it has to do with cancer diagnosis or the sentencing of, of an individual or the targeting of a different individual in a military context. I think we're getting to the point where, okay, we'll have that system provide that recommendation, but then the set of humans involved in that context have to make an educated decision based off of that recommendation that's being provided by the system, as well as all the other arguments that the humans involved in that decision-making process will bring to the table. That seems the most feasible situation and the one that I think, again, will make people understand, or at least uh, rather trust these systems. It's going to be a human-machine collaboration.
0: Hello again. It's Michael from the future. For the rest of this episode, we discuss the governance and politics of AI. Politics, as we all know, is rather finicky at times, and for something as new and volatile as artificial intelligence, the politics behind it change often. In places like the US and EU, new legislation and initiatives were proposed after this episode was recorded. Enjoy this next bit, but keep in mind that the world of AI is continuously shifting. With everything we've talked about, it sounds like we need some kind of rule book or set of guidelines when it comes to the development and use of AI. Is something like this in the works and by who?
1: Oh yeah, most certainly. There's in fact quite a lot going on in the domain right now. of uh, We're essentially talking about here governance frameworks. There are quite a lot across the world that are being developed I'll just mention, let's say, the sort of key areas simply because there are so many. And also we have to consider that there's multiple levels of governance that need to be taken into account from, uh, if we look at the granularity of it, we can break it down from the individual all the way to the international level, right, in which we're really talking about legislation and laws versus an individual simply having, let's say, uh, a code of conduct, right, A a set of ethical standards. So, every, and everything in between. I would probably say that one of the major developments simply because it has uh, had so much, uh, probably media press around it, if you don't happen to follow this area, would be the European Union. So the European Commission has already proposed a, a law, the first, it's called AI, Act, Artificial Intelligence Act, it's still a draft. It has yet to be passed by the all the member states of the European Union and by the Parliament, so it has not yet gone into full um, action. but it's important to know that it's it has already been proposed because one of the fundamental elements of that law that that's being proposed is uh, about human rights. It's truly about Making sure, putting the safeguards, really defining AI and putting the safeguards in place that can ensure true uh, safety, trustworthiness, reliability in these systems, in for the final goal of protecting human rights, democratic uh, and democratic values, and the rule of law. Essentially, it's very significant because of its, um, it, its fundamental guiding principle in terms of human rights. The United States has also proposed, uh, certainly at the national level in terms of creating also guiding principles and um, ethical codes of conduct and entire in fact national strategy revolving around R&D truly in the interests of the country in terms of becoming a world leader in AI. And what that means is essentially through public and private partnerships, driving AI inventions for the purpose of the country's interests. The idea there is that if you prioritize AI investments, you're essentially gonna catalyze technological breakthrough and that technological breakthrough will then lead to the competitive advantage and leadership of the AI ecosystem that is in contrast for example to the what's happening in China right now which uh, as an authoritarian regime it has also proposed and very uh, vocally acknowledged that they would like to be the world leader in AI and so Right now that is also and similar to the United States, they've proposed an entire grand plan strategy for the nation in terms of upskilling all of their, their entire nation, their entire citizenry and um, for the purpose of being a world leader. United States and Europe um, certainly are allies and so they are now in talks about really reinforcing, reaffirming cooperation between each other in terms of uh, trans-Atlantic cooperation and collaboration as well as international security. So I just mentioned those three, that does not mean that other countries are not creating uh, their own types of, mm, let's say uh, ideas and plans and standards around how AI should be developed. Most certainly there's a lot going on. In fact, even within the European Union, different member states have also uh, been suggesting proposing in, in sort of in complementation and in a way to improve what the European Commission has proposed at large. In Latin America, there are multiple countries who have also taken a national strategy and gone forward and proposed entire uh, standards of conduct. Africa as well has seen um, multiple countries within Africa have also started engaging in that. Not all of them have gained the widespread, uh, let's say, sort of media um, attention or even public attention I would say that probably one of, maybe the most well-known is the one that comes out from the OECD, so the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. They essentially launched their principles on AI precisely to promote trustworthiness and the respect of human rights and democratic values. And they actually had very specific recommendations for public policy and strategy They also talked about how to implement different safeguards, what it means to have responsible and transparent disclosures, and also the question of accountability, how to show and be transparent about accountability across the life cycle of AI. And the life cycle of AI includes the design, the uh, development, and the deployment of an AI-enabled system. And so the idea of putting forward these principles or codes of, of conduct around AI have precisely been to establish a shared language for the types of norms and, and governance that should, uh, that should take hold. Of course, there are also um, different committees that have been created, um, different forums, discussion groups, steering groups. Um, that have been formed bringing together different experts not only within AI but within public policy, within the legal world, uh, also uh, also to engage the public. So one really interesting uh, initiative uh, has come from uh, Canada, in fact, the Pan-Canadian Artificial Intelligence Strategy that they launched uh, several years ago. And that was precisely meant to, they essentially emphasized the need to include interdisciplinary and international work around critical theme areas related to AI, which include uh, life and health, um, earth and space. That's also another uh, part that we actually haven't gone into in terms of what this means for the world at large. And also, space individuals and society and information and matter and so the idea here is that they essentially are very much interested in bringing the public within the the policy conversations to engage the public so that they can get their opinion as well so again i'm just giving that as one example there are multiple examples out there which one is going to take the sort of the prize, let's say, or the, you know, be front stage, I, re- I think really depends on, this is more of an international question, just in the same way as in fact, it reminded me when we were talking about the lethal autonomous weapon systems. This, this reminds me as well in terms of the way we have different, um, the way we have a, a treaties, right, and international agreements on the banning. Uh, and the regulation of, for example, the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, it has been proposed that we need an equivalent for AI. So again, the point here is we're talking about different frameworks of governance, the different levels of granularity, right? From the individual all the way to uh, the international level and to legislation law. And then we're also talking about um, how different nations right, have their own strategies to become a leader in the AI space. not In fact, not everybody has uh, wants to be a leader in that space. The two main voices, let's say the uh, actors in this space are the United States and China. The rest of the world has not necessarily taken on such a forceful uh, perspective. However, that doesn't mean that they're not thinking about this. And most certainly they, they will most certainly have a voice in being part of creating these these codes of conduct, if
0: you will. Sounds like a lot of these standards are coming from government bodies. Is that the right course of action to take, or should the private sector be involved in some way?
1: Um, Well, I would say we're at a critical turning point as well here, where we need to ensure that business community, uh, so the industry, right, and and government do forge uh, an adaptable and, Robust collaboration to to truly ensure that there is positive impact right with this technology. Uh, I mean, I would say big government is not a bad thing. (laughs) I would actually agree, in fact, and this comes from the uh, it was uh, there were several statements actually that were made um, by this reminds me of the Parliament Assembly of the Council of Europe. They made the statement in, I believe it was in, it was in 2020, and I think it was fall, like October. And they very bluntly uh, presented the case that self-regulation and soft law instruments have so far proven to be insufficient in protecting human rights, democracy, and the rule of law. And so, the reason why I bring this up is because the way things have been, so the status quo, this wild west of AI that I've been uh, alluding to, um, the way it's been going, it, it hasn't been working. It hasn't been working because we already see that there is an enormous amount of bias and discrimination in, in these in these systems. So industry alone has not been able to to, to to prevent that. Now, whether it was because they did it intentionally or not, that's another conversation but the point being is that i think we are at this critical point where we need to have this public private partnership because well industry hasn't been able to 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 prevent uh discrimination with these systems and at the same time the government doesn't even have doesn't have the resources right to to create the technology so we need to play off of each other's strengths right i mean we need to play off of the strengths of industry where they and certainly here in the United States, with an enormous amount of money being invested in the development of advancing these technologies forward. And at the same time, we need to take advantage of what government is for, right? Putting these, creating these standards and regula- regulations, right? And these bodies of oversight that can Come in, for example, like the FTC, right, the Federal Trade Commission, to come in and say, you know, look, we are, you know, we're we're coming, we're coming after you, kind of, to the company, saying, you know, we, you need to be following this, you need to be transparent, you need to show the data that you're using, that you're acquiring, where you're acquiring it from is not biased, and you need to have mitigation strategies. And in fact, look, when it comes to bias, the, the question of bias, there actually are, um, I'm certainly aware of two, for example, um, open source bias audit toolkits, that have one coming from the, it's, the, it's in the University of Chicago, it's uh, the think, uh, think tank, um, Center for Data Science and Public Policy, if, if I have the name correct, and also IBM. And both of those uh, organizations have created essentially a toolkit to measure the fairness of AI models. And so that is an example of how we have academia, industry, and then in our conversation in terms of uh, what the government is doing in terms of a national strategy, that really shows that it is already in a way a, a partnership between Public and private sectors, but I think we just need to reaffirm it and really delineate it clearly.
0: Thank you for answering that question. Throughout this episode, we've learned about the progress being made here in Maryland with regard to AI research and development. From military research to education to autonomous vehicles, AI is gradually integrating with our society. This is happening nationwide and indeed around the entire world. But one might wonder what this means and how will it change our lives? National and multinational councils are marshalling to figure out how to govern this new technology. What that will look like is up for grabs for the time being. I think the general message throughout this series has been that we're at a crossroads right now. Quite literally, the AI rulebooks are being written and revised as we learn more about what exactly AI is and how it can be used for good or bad. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? That will bring this episode to a close. Dr. LG... Thank you again for coming on to the show. We've enjoyed having you here.
1: Likewise, yeah, this was
0: this was this was fun. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and our series on artificial intelligence. Like last time, Dr. LG's contact information and resources for the topics we discussed today can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show and Project Bridge, our parent organization, then share it with your friends and on social media. You can find us on many platforms, including Instagram at cymore underscore podcast twitter at cymore p reddit at cymore underscore podcast and our page on facebook if you have a science question you want answered you can contact us on social media or through our email which is cymore.podcast at gmail.com all lowercase until next time